The bit of forest filled a cup-like depression in the plain, and it was possibly half a rifle shot distance from end to end. But to Peter, it was as vast as life itself, and something urged him to go in. And as he lay there, desire and indecision struggling for mastery within him, no power could have told Peter that destinies greater than his own were working through the soul of the dog that was in him, and that on his decision to go in or not to go in, on the triumph of courage or cowardice, there rested the fates of lives greater than his own, of men and women and of little children still unborn. A glass of wine once lost a kingdom, a nail turned the tide of a mighty battle, and a woman's smile once upon a time destroyed the homes of a million people. Thus have trivial things played their potent parts in the history of human lives. Yet these things Peter did not know, nor that his greatest hour had come. At last he rose from his squatting posture and stood upon his feet. He was not a beautiful pup, this Peter Piedbot or Peter Clubfoot, as Jolly Roger McKay, who lived over in the big cedar swamp, had named him when he gave Peter to the girl. He was, in a way, an accident, and a homely one at that. His father was a blue-blooded fighting Airedale who had broken from his kennel long enough to commit a mesalliance with a huge, big-footed, and peace-loving Mackenzie Hound, and Peter was the result. He wore the fiercely bristling whiskers of his Airedale father at the age of three months. His ears were flappy and big, his tail was knotted, and his legs were ungainly and loose, with huge feet at the end of them, so big and heavy that he stumbled frequently and fell on his nose. One pitied him at first, and then loved him. For Peter, in spite of his homeliness, had the two best bloods of all dog creation in his veins. Yet, in a way, it was like mixing nitroglycerin with olive oil, or dynamite and saltpeter with milk and honey. Peter's heart was thumping rapidly as he took a step toward the deeper shadows. He swallowed hard, as if to clear a knot out of his scrawny throat. But he had made up his mind. Something was compelling him, and he would go in. Slowly, the gloom engulfed him, and once again the whimsical spirit of fatalism had chosen a trivial thing to work out its ends in the romance and tragedy of human lives. Grim shadows began to surround Peter, and his ears shot up, and a scraggly brush stood out along his spine. But he did not bark, as he had barked along the shore of the lake and in the green opens. Twice he looked back to the shimmer of sunshine that was growing more and more indistinct. As long as he could see this, and knew that his retreat was open, there still remained a bit of that courage which was swiftly ebbing in the thickening darkness. But the third time he looked back, the light of the sun was utterly gone. For an instant, the knot rose up in his throat and choked him, and his eyes popped and grew like little balls of fire in his intense desire to see through the gloom. Even the girl, who was afraid of only one thing in the world, would have paused where Peter stood, with a little quickening of her heart. For all the light of the day, it seemed to Peter, had suddenly died out. Over his head, the spruce and cedar and balsam tops grew so thick they were like a canopy of night. Through them, the snow never came in winter, and under them, the light of a blazing sun was only a ghostly twilight. And now, as he stood there, his whole soul burning with a desire to see his way out, Peter began to hear strange sounds. Strangest of all, and most fearsome, was a hissing that came and went sometimes very near to him, and always accompanied by a grating noise that curdled his blood. 
Twice after that, he saw the shadow of the great owl as it swooped over him, and he flattened himself down, the knot in his throat growing bigger and more choking. And then he heard the soft and uncanny movement of huge feathered bodies in the thick shroud of boughs overhead, and slowly and cautiously he wormed himself around, determined to get back to sunshine and day as quickly as he could. It was not until he had made this movement that the real chill of horror gripped at his heart. Straight behind him, directly in the path he had traveled, he saw two little green balls of flame. It was instinct, and not reason or experience, which told Peter there was menace and peril in those two tiny spots blazing in the gloom. He did not know that his own eyes, popping half out of his head, were equally terrifying in that pit of silence, nor that from him emanated a still more terrifying thing, the scent of a dog. He trembled on his wobbly legs as the green eyes stared at him, and his back seemed to break in the middle.